Hello, and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one-sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week we'll be discussing Duel, Top Gun Maverick, and Jurassic World Dominion. I'm your host, Bill George. With me, as always, AJ Rebecca and super producer Craig Stanton. Hi, guys. What's going on, Bill? What's going on, AJ? How are you? Tired. All right. Uh, update from the last episode <laughs> that I wanted to share. Uh, friend of the show, Krista, a lovely friend of 10 years, uh, pointed out that the merch link that was in our Should I Go See It Instagram account was not on the shouldigoseeit.com website, a oversight that has since been corrected. So thank you, Krista, for the heads up on that one. How embarrassing for you. Friend of 10 years. Why have we never met her? She lives in California. Oh, what part? Uh, San Jose-ish. She a Warriors fan? She rooting for the uh, GS Dubs? No, she is uh, a Boston Celtics fan. As much as I try to tease her that they are her Golden State Warriors, uh, <laughs> she refuses to take the bait. Uh, well, thanks for the correction there, KB. Uh, another update uh, on the uh, sad front. Uh, R.I.P. Ray Liotta. That was a tough transition for us. <laughs> Minor website oversight. <laughs> into Ray Liotta's death. I was just a really weird way to kick off the show. Not on my end. We're doing it live. Okay. Anyway, Ray Liotta's dead. Oh boy. Uh, sad to see him go. Obviously, Goodfellas, incredibly influential, important, favorite movie of ours, uh, as well as all the other work that he's done. But Goodfellas is the one that jumps to the top of the pile, and he will be missed. Uh, Goodfellas, and he his second best role was playing the detective in the Seth Rogen mall cop movie, Observing Report, <laughs> I, <laughs> which is one of the funniest is movies it? the last I, You know, years. I saw that one in theaters. I barely remember it, and I don't even remember Ray Liotta being in it. Cackling throughout. Okay, that, maybe I'll... <laughs> With him and Michael Pena go on a bender, and they fight all the kids in the parking lot skateboarding. You don't remember? <laughs> it's a classic film. Craig knows what I'm talking about. Well, yeah, R.I.P. <laughs> Ray Liotta. Um, you know, I've you typically these celebrity deaths come in bunches. Any predictions on who's going to be next? Let's go to the sports book and see what the Vegas has for odds. Oh well, actually, didn't um, they they come in threes? Uh, people didn't say. Uh, Baker Hall uh, pass away uh, from heart age? Oh yes, Philip Baker Hall. Philip Baker Hall of Seinfeld and uh, Boogie Nights fame. Yes, Detective Bookman from Seinfeld. I forgot to put that in the uh, in the notes as well, but that was very recent. All right, who's going to be number three? This is a dark. Uh, this is a dark new segment, but maybe we just roll with it. Yeah, this is a, this is a tough topic. Jesus, you ready? Who the the top death list of 2022 is? Ready? Number. These are predictions. Predictions, predictions? or these already no, happened? Predictions. Is there a sports book on this? Uh, oh, you can bet on anything online. If there is, AJ will find it. Who do you think is predicted to die in 2022? Top of the list. Christopher Walken. Ian, wait, is Ian McKellen still alive? Right? Ian McKellen? I have a top 10 list. So if you say one of the top 10s, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you bonus points. Um, all right. Well, I've already guessed two. Give me one more. I will say Patrick Stewart. No. Uh, Craig? Oh, God. Um, oh, I don't know. I don't know. 
I'm sorry. I'm bad at this game. I All tried right. to cheat by Googling oldest living actors, and it's just a bunch of black and white photos of, of <laughs> people you don't know. 50s. Here we got it's a mess. the uh, Death List 2022 top person who um, is scheduled or predicted to die <laughs> is Yikes. Dick Van Dyke, number one. Okay. I thought that already happened. Okay. Henry Kissinger, number two. Oh, this Not is just actor. people, not actors. These are just, just pe- famous people. people. Uh, famous people. Okay, yep. okay, gotcha, okay. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, Angela Lansbury from Murder, She Wrote is still alive. She's number three. Uh, Bob Bar- Barker from Price is Right is oh, number four. Bob Barker. Alan Greenspan, uh, famous economist, number five. Uh, Nigel Starmer Smith, who apparently is a famous rugby commentator who's only in his 70s, <laughs> is, <laughs> is oh, number bastard. six. Uh, right, country dude. singer Loretta Lynn, uh, number seven. National treasure. Uh, June Brown. Don't even know who that is. Uh, eight. Jimmy Carter, ex or oh, past Carter, yeah. president, number nine. He's on borrowed time. And Tony Bennett, famous crooner, age Oof. 96, rounds out the top 10 uh, lists in the last spot. Wow. All right. Wow. Angela Lansbury, you are on the clock. I had literally. I thought she was dead, and I thought Bob, Bob Barker was dead. I could have sworn Barker was dead. I thought I heard that somewhere. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Lady Gaga still does cocaine with um, Tony Tony Bennett, Bennett. They've done like four albums together. So. Keeps the ticker going. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything? What else is in the news, uh, AJ? Anything else <laughs> that we can talk about this week in the news? Okay. Uh, uh. Tom Hanks recently spoke up to defend Forrest Gump and its legacy. Gump uh, won Best Picture in 1993, but it's often kept off lists of best movies of all time and often the butt of jokes, uh, especially compared to what could have won that year, which 93, 94, 95, those three years were absolutely fucking insane. Hanks says... Everyone gets hung up on the sappy, nostalgic nature of the movie and forgets the scenes of real humanity, especially with his relationship with uh, Lieutenant Dan. Bill, is Hanks right and Forrest Gump has gotten a bad rap unnecessarily? Or is he just being sensitive and can't look at the movie objectively? I think it has gotten a worse rap than it needs, for sure. And it was groundbreaking at the time uh, with the integration of like early CG or early green screen work. Um, there was there was some groundbreaking nature to it, and like and yeah, there is a lot of good acting and good writing in that. Like if you don't cry when he talks to Jenny's uh, headstone, like you, you're a robot. Um, so it's got some good stuff going for it. But I want to look at the other nominees because I think that's the more interesting part to this. Um, because it won Best Picture against Shawshank Redemption, yep, Quiz Show, Pulp Fiction, and Four Weddings and a Funeral. So my take on it: Four Weddings and a Funeral, you can put that aside. Pulp Fiction, they were probably never going to give it to it because it's not until hindsight that Pulp Fiction's influence and significance really comes into play. Obviously, now, in retrospect, Pulp Fiction should have won 100%, but they, they wouldn't have known that at the time, so I'm going to give it that a pass. Yeah. Quiz Show is a good movie, but I don't think it has the emotional draw that the, that the Academy would go for. So it really goes Forrest Gump versus Shawshank. And yeah, personally, I think Shawshank's a better film, and I've gone back to it 
a lot more regularly. But I don't necessarily think it's a terrible selection for Forrest Gump for Best Picture, given the field. I don't know. That's my take. What would you have voted for? That's a that's a loaded, that's a loaded group, dude. And I told you that 93, 94, 95. Hell, like the 90s, every single year was just a loaded category for Best Picture. <laughs> I know. Like, what does he mean by butt of the jokes? Was it because the fact that he played a mentally handicapped person? No, I think people go back to like the use of the songs from the time and like the and, you know, the, the movie, the whole joke of the movie is that at the cross section of all these important cultural events and historical events, there was this one dude who you never heard of. Yeah. Uh, but I think people now think of that as kitschy and nostalgic and kind of silly. Um, and his point is there's more to the movie than that. So, yeah, but that's the whole point is that like this, this guy doesn't seek it. He just happens to be right. in those places at those times. That's the, that's a magical fucking Forrest Gump. <laughs> well, I think, that's, fucking I, idiot? I think that's where you like, and if you I don't are. Get that? But I think that there's a general public who thinks it's, who thinks it's cool to not like it. I don't know. I don't know. People are. F- I don't know. I think Tom Hanks has a, a warped perception of the perception of that film. It sounds like to me. Possible. That's possible. But I think he's, he feels like, you know, every time they put out these 100 greatest movies of all time, 50 greatest movies of all time, if Forrest Gump won Best Picture but is not even listed, and uh, he's taking exception to it. And I, I, I get that. Yeah, but like, let's think of all the movies, other movies that have won Best Picture that you probably wouldn't put at the top of the list. I mean, can I can give you the number one answer to that question. Go for it. <laughs> Crash. Into me. Crash was... Crash is the worst, the worst best picture winner uh, I've ever seen. Two thousand five, Crash wins. Goes up against Brokeback Mountain, Capote, Good Night and Good Luck, and Munich, all in that one oh. one year. Oh wow! Actually, Good Night and Good Luck is a is is the one that I've watched the most out of that group. I love that movie. Oh, fucking Crash! I mean, what a joke! I can't believe. I mean, two thousand two, anyway. Chicago wins best picture. Like, yeah, okay, it's Chicago, but like. Fuck off, you know. <laughs> Lord of the Rings: Return of the King, two thousand three. I mean, that was a makeup award. That's not yeah, the best of those movies. I wouldn't put that in the top hundred greatest movies of all time. You know, true, true. Unforgiven, Clint Eastwood, ninety two. Okay, like good movie, but I'm not gonna fucking die on a hill for it. Yeah, old fuck. So I don't know. I think Tom Cruise is a little Tom, I'm Hanks. Not Tom Cruise. Tom Hanks. Foreshadowing. It's a little weird about this. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Yeah, I don't know. I think he needs to like get a life. All right, fair enough. Uh, other news, AJ. Photos from the set of Maestro, the new biopic about composer Leonard Bernstein, came out last week. They show a shockingly aged Bradley Cooper in the lead role. Uh, you know, from The Irishman by Scorsese all the way through the Marvel movies that Scorsese hates... Hollywood is fixated on aging and de-aging actors, usually with visual effects. And AJ, my question to you is, do you think this trend helps with immersion? Or is it only a distraction and maybe they should just let the actors act and the audience can suspend their disbelief? I have like conflicting takes. Given to me. On one side, I am super excited and passionate about practical effects, right? Animatronics, makeup all that artistry that goes into it. So it's nice to see that they have a full dedicated team that's transforming him in real time. Yep. 
uh, same way that um, I, I think of Gary Oldman, right? Uh, Darkest Hour, playing Winston Churchill. You know, they 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 kind of transformed him to be Winston Churchill. Um, yeah, good example, good pull. Irishman was cool, but it relied heavily on on CGI and effects to to generate younger versions, almost like you would do motion cap for video games, which was weird that Scorsese did it, and was even weirder when you saw it in the movie in real time in The Irishman because you're like, yep, it almost looks like a cutscene from a video game sometimes because you're like, I know this person is not young, and I just, you know, it, it was just weird. So from the stills that I saw. I'm into it. Like if you can do it well and you have a great team of artists behind it that can make that transformation seem real, fucking go for it. Um, I, I, I just, I think the bigger problem that I'm going to have in my head, and we've talked about this before, is biopics really work well when you pick one portion of their life and kind of builds the story around that. When we're going with the aging route that we've seen from the stills, you're you're probably spanning generations now, decades, if you will, which can sometimes blow a movie and and not drive home a point. Um, clearly, this man has had a an amazing career, so there's a lot to cover. Um, Leonard Bernstein. So I don't know, Bill. Well, I guess we'll see. Yeah, I think with the aging thing, it's like it is the hot thing. They're doing it constantly whether you know it or not they try to be now they can do it more subtly with vfx it's it's getting annoying to me though at this point because like the irishman was a good example of it just being a distraction um other movies too where like it looked real bad is something like gemini man where like part of the plot is like a young will smith and it's just if poorly done didn't age well uh and it can make them look plasticky uh especially like the early marvel attempts at it they've gotten much better at it but like they did a young Danny Jr., a younger Kurt Russell, a younger Michael Douglas, a younger Sam Jackson. And to a certain degree to me, it's like, why bother? Like Sam Jackson and Captain Marvel, I get it takes place in the 90s. So they like de-aged him a bit. But like we know who he is. We understand the time frame. Like as an audience, like give us a little benefit of the doubt that like we can just watch the movie and, and assume like why must we shove VFX in there that are only going to distract when as an audience we can figure it out. Or if you're making a big enough leap, like you said, I prefer different actors, if a young version of, of so-and-so. So I, I'm getting a little sick of the fact that every single movie seems to have some element of VFX aging or de-aging. I would rather them just let the actors act the parts, and we're, an audi- we're, we're a smart enough audience, hopefully they can figure it out. Yeah. How is it that Hollywood it's has been making thing. the same mistake since the advent of like digital effects in thinking that no 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 these ones will age well and they're always wrong they're always wrong no 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 the technology we have I can, now they can only do the best that is they have be great in 10 years no it's not it never is yeah i mean they get hung up in the moment it looks good in the moment aging and de-aging i am fine with it if like you said it's done practically and real and it, they can sell it but when it becomes VFX based and and it's noticeable enough to be distracting then I just I would just throw it out the window personally on to our next segment Bill should I go see it there are three movies we'll be talking about today Duel Top Gun Maverick and Jurassic World Dominion uh dealer's choice what do you want to start with let's go in that order let's start with Duel because it's a, a short 
movie and we don't need to talk a ton about it. Uh, but it's uh, I've reviewed it, so it's worth mentioning. Uh, a woman opts for a cloning procedure after she receives a terminal diagnosis, but when she recovers, her attempts to have her clone decommissioned fail, leading to a court-mandated duel to the death. Wow. <laughs> Big twist right in, the, right in the synopsis there. Bill, should I go see it? No. So... This movie, this is a better concept than it is a movie. Wait, 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 wait. Can it, let's can we make the synopsis make sense? Yes, yes. You, di- Let me- you die. You're you're getting a terminal diagnosis. You say clone me. So they clone them, right, to make them live on in some capacity. But if you are out of the clear and you actually don't have stage four terminal cancer, you then have to duel your clone because there can only be one of you in the universe. That's exactly correct, yes. So it is a super deadpan dark comedy. It's a comedy? And then it has this... Yes, oh yes, it's God. a dark comedy. Okay. And it has this sci-fi concept that you just described where you clone yeah. yourself so that... And then you spend time with your clone before you die so that they can start to pick up on your mannerisms and learn about you. And then your family doesn't have to go through as much loss because that clone just steps in and takes over for you. Can I ask a question? Yes. Wasn't there an Apple TV Plus movie with Mahershala Ali that was like basically this exact thing? I know what you're referencing, but I have not. I haven't watched that one. I know what you're referencing, but I, I can't speak to it because I haven't seen it. But. Okay. Here's another thing. They should put this on Apple TV Plus and they should call it Time Machine because it is about a meta commentary on backing up your computer. <laughs> 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 Interesting take. Why couldn't this just be a, a, a episode of Black Mirror? Bro, are you reading my notes? That's like, I swear to God, I have that in here. This would make a much better 45-minute episode of Black Mirror than it would an hour-and-a-half movie. So so the they don't go into the sci-fi part of it. That's a part of the funny part is basically that they can clone the person, and the clone is already at that age, like, ready to go. Uh, they just, like, come around the corner, and all of a sudden there's another Karen Gillan. Um and, and yeah, it's, it's a dark comedy because it's so deadpan where they have these conversations that are about these absurd things, but they're doing it completely straight. And, like, the conversation she has with the doctor, there's, like, two scenes with the doctor that are actually absolutely hysterical because the actress playing the doctor is just top-notch. And then legally mandated duels occur one year from the day uh, when the person ends up recovering because only one person, one of those clones can occupy that, that reality, that life. And so then it becomes her training with Aaron Paul to get ready for the duel a year later. How does Aaron Paul get involved? He's a he's a personal trainer. He's like a fighting trainer. Eat my ass. Um, and the and the duels are also there's a crowd in the bleachers and then they're on TV. It's live thing. There's what? Thing. Yeah. This is a, this is a this is a Black Mirror episode. It is. It is basically a Black Mirror episode, but it's it's a movie instead, and it's it's pretty well put together. The look of it's fine competently made i hated the music though it's not even music it's fucking sound like i don't know ever since han zimmer and the dark knight with like the joker's theme of like a high-pitched fucking sound like that this entire movie is just sounds uh and it was really annoying and it just got to like fever pitches during moments that are supposed to be dramatic very very annoying um and they don't make enough out of the dual element like they're supposed to be shown on tv so you would think throughout the the movie maybe she watches a couple to like get an idea and that's how you get your action beats by like showing some of these duels but they don't they show one duel in the opening credits to give you the concept and then they don't show basically another duel again so any of the action that they kind of allude to doesn't 
gets shown there. So just a lot of missed opportunities. Uh, the performances are okay, um, but it's just, again, too long for the concept. Uh, could have been a, a great Black Mirror episode. All right, Bill, let's go to the next film, Top Gun Maverick, according to imdb.com. After more than 30 years of service as one of the Navy's top aviators, Pete Mitchell is where he belongs, pushing the envelope as a courageous test pilot and dodging the advancement in rank that would ground him. Bill, how hard are you? (laughs) Very, and uh, yes, you should go see it. Uh... Immediately, like drop what you're doing, right? Pause okay. the podcast, go see this movie if you have not yet in the biggest screen, loudest theater that you can. Okay, I had three questions. My first one was, How do I watch this? So, biggest, loudest, yeah, I saw possible. it in a Dolby Cinema, which not only you know has a clearer image in black or blacks, the whole thing, but their real claim to fame is the Dolby Atmos audio, and you could just feel like the roar of the jet engines, it was absolutely incredible. Question two, speaking of roars of engines, is this infused with the same level of homoeroticism as the first movie? Uh, I would not homoeroticism, just eroticism, because they have added female pilots to the to the group that were not there in obviously the 80s version. Yeah, women were not allowed to fly in the 1980s. So there is a, a beach scene, a shirtless beach scene for all involved. Uh, that they have to get in there, so uh, gotta have it. I will. It's not volleyball. I will say that. It's um. What's the game? Spikeball. <laughs> Bocce. <laughs> Question three. Uh, do I have to either rewatch or have watched the first Top Gun? Um, have to probably not. Um, you would. You kind of have. You'd have to kind of figure it out as you went. But I think they give you enough context and context clues to fill you in. But that being said, I happened to watch the original uh, on Netflix the night before, and I was very glad that I did. Um, previously on the podcast, I had mentioned that Top Gun. You know, Tom Cruise is my favorite actor, but Top Gun was never like my top pick for him. But I had only seen it like once a while ago. So when I rewatched it, I realized uh, how great it was. So that was fun. And then seeing all the connections in this movie uh, was great. Because one of the things that this movie does is it proves that the legacy sequel can be done right. It's like perfect amount of callbacks, perfect amount of callbacks, perfect amount of uh, using similar story beats but changing it enough. You know, keeping the character the same, but changing the world around him. Um, using a character's son, in this case, Goose. Um, it was just everything about it worked. They brought back some of the same like opening credits, some of the same music, the 80s vibe, but it's still made with today's filmmaking techniques. Um, it's just it's how you do a legacy sequel right. Like they absolutely nailed it. What's bad about the movie? I I don't know that I can say a bad thing about it. I'm telling you, it's so enjoyable. I've had multiple people text me after they had seen it saying it is the best movie they've seen in a while, if not ever. Um, I got someone uh, is like, show me like a Top Gun, Talk to Me Goose t-shirt they're buying immediately after getting out of the movie. Like everyone I know who has seen it has talked about how amazing it is. It's just, I'm, it is, it's also the, at this point, it is the highest grossing movie of this year. It's the highest Whoa. grossing uh, opening for, for Tom Cruise ever. Um, it's just, it is just a, it's a feel good throwback type of movie. 
is this the summer blockbuster the world needs? Big time. Big time what the world wow. needs. In the same way that that sort of Ted Lasso during the pandemic was what people needed, this is the type of movie that is like a fun, well-made, uh, visceral experience, feel good. I mean, we haven't even gotten into the logistics of the, the filming and like the actual craftsmanship of the film, which is a whole other fall game. Yeah, because who gives a crap? <laughs> <laughs> they spent 15 months of development just to figure out how to get cameras in the cockpits. Those are the actual actors feeling those G-forces in the jets. It's, okay. It's unreal. Speaking of, speaking of logistics and cockpits, how many phone books does Tom Cruise need to sit on to look <laughs> over the dashboard of Bob? <laughs> I was just about to say, the only CGI they used was to make Tom Cruise look taller than 5'5". Five five. <laughs> all right, laugh all you want, folks. Laugh all you want. But this movie uses everything that Tom Cruise has to offer perfectly. The charm, the comedic timing, the dramatic range, the death-defying stunts. Like, it is a perfect... I know. All, I also know people who have told me that they hate Tom Cruise, but they still love this movie. Like, he... It, a, the movie's that good, and B, he is that good, uh, reprising the role of Maverick. So It's, it's the must-see movie of the year. It's my top movie of the year so far. Like, it's not even debatable. It's, it's your top movie of the year. Fuck you. It's not your top movie of the year. See it, AJ. It See it, and then you, it's, you will be apologizing to me on the next podcast. Or just wait three weeks until he has a new one. Jerk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jurassic World Dominion. You ready? Ready to <laughs> round this out? Talk about talk about tonal whiplash. Yeah, go ahead. Is there about to be a tone shift? <laughs> Is there, there's some dark clouds rolling in? Yes. Yep. Okay. Jurassic World Dominion, according to IMDb.com, four years after the, after the destruction of Isla Nublar, dinosaurs now live and hunt alongside humans all over the world. This fragile balance will reshape the future and determine once and for all whether human beings are to remain the apex predators predators on a planet they now share with histories most fearsome creatures in a new era bill should i go see it god no god save yourself this is one of those movies that i see so you don't have to i had someone on instagram say oh, our if i watch savior <laughs> you're right yes yes you're welcome okay uh someone on instagram said well i've, I've already watched the other five don't i kind of have to watch this and the answer is no that is the sunk cost fallacy and you should not buy into that please I mean, this is, it's not Matrix Resurrections bad, but it's not, not that bad. Uh, it's in the ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what was so bad about it? Um, everything. It, I mean, a movie, it, let me put it this way. AJ, as you know, AJ, uh, movies are the biggest passion of my life. Um, and this is the type of movie that makes me hate movies. <laughs> uh it's like it's the antithesis of what Jurassic Park was, and the fact that this has the Jurassic name in it is just—it's a shameful outrage. Okay, before, um, before, okay, I'm gonna pause you. I want you to take a deep breath. Uh, okay, yeah. From what I know, from watching the last movie and then watching that like epilogue thing that came out like two years ago, is that the premise seems amazing. That the dinosaurs escaped Costa Rica. They've inha inhabited like the mainland and we are living amongst them. So like if you go camping in the 
Sierras or in Yosemite, there's a chance that you might like have to fucking fight a Triceratops or a fucking pterodactyl. How is that not a great premise? Like that's amazing. Well, well, AJ, that is a great premise. Um, and uh, that would have been the movie that I guess would have occurred between these movies. It's not this movie. Because uh, I'm right there with you. At the end of Fallen Kingdom, I said to myself, that movie was a pile of shit. But at least they have set up a very interesting next movie because now we will see, instead of a park or a preserve gone wrong, we'll see dinosaurs in the wild, which is a fascinating concept. And that end montage at the end of Fallen Kingdom was awesome. This movie picks up with a fake newsreel, uh, a Vice-type newsreel, where they talk about the fact that all the dinosaurs that were in the wild have basically now been contained into a new preserve, and the movie is about that gotta be going haywire. So they're not like riding the subway with you, like reading a newspaper? <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> like the dinosaur show on ABC? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. There's The opening exposition dump to catch you up shows like cool handheld footage of like dinosaurs in the wild, and then the movie begins and all of that's been contained. And even the... very well put together vignette that they put out months ago to promote the movie in which a fucking T-Rex attacks a camp uh, is not in the film at all. That sequence just doesn't exist in the movie. Um, So there was all nonsense. It was all nonsense. And this goes into a park that's being run by some like awkward tech CEO archetype uh, and they have a nefarious plan uh, to make money off it, obviously. And they assemble the cast of characters from across both Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. And uh, it's terrible. The CG is bad. It's just terrible composite shots. Um, there's some animatr- or there's some actual animatronics and puppetry, usually with the smallest versions of the dinosaurs, like baby dinosaurs. And those look fine, but then you're immediately cutting to terrible CG and constant blue screen. So it takes away from it. And it's 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 bad. And I feel bad for the actors, really, because especially people like Laura Dern and Sam Neill come back for this movie and they're giving it their all. Like they're playing those characters as lived in characters from Jurassic Park. They're they're doing well, but they're given a script. that's terrible. Uh, Had they been in the previous sequels or no? No, this is them. No, this is their comeback. No, I was that was gonna I was gonna ask is that like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dr. Alan Grant, Dr. Yep. Ellie Sattler, and Dr. Ian Malcolm all come back after twenty yep. Yep. almost twenty years away. No, and then they, they so they have them plus they have the Jurassic World characters that we have set up, Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard, who are actually both they're okay too. It's really the script is awful. Um, they have a young girl that they're in, sort of looking after, which is from the the Fallen Kingdom storyline carried over. And then they add a new character too. Um, so the and they add the bad guy and B.D. Wong, who's been in all these movies. So they have like a zillion fucking characters, which makes the movie completely bloated. Um, it runs over two plus hours, uh, and it is just it is it's bad. It's just everything about it is bad. None of it works. CG script, all of it is just it's absolute trash. This is also this rounds out the trilogy for you. I'm looking now on should I go see it dot com. Search results for keyword Jurassic. You have given all three of these films hard no's. I mean, you just said no, but I am inferring a hard no from the no. I have hated this entire Jurassic World 
uh, franchise. Yes, absolutely despise it. This is actually really funny too because the first sorry to cut you off, but the, your your review of Jurassic World from June twelfth, twenty fifteen says an over reliance on CGI to put it mildly in a truly awful script make this yet another disappointing installment in a franchise that began with a timeless masterpiece. I mean, you could have just copied and pasted that same analysis. Literally could have, because <laughs> uh, then you also have the you also have the goofiest. Thing ever with Gira- uh, Chris Pratt putting his hand up to velociraptors and other animals and they're listening to him. It's like, it's just so dumb. It's just so dumb. I can't, I can't with these movies. All it did was raise my appreciation for Jurassic Park and made me want to watch it again with fresh eyes, which I did, and it did not disappoint. And it just makes, it's a shame that every subsequent movie has gotten worse and worse and worse. That's so disheartening. It's, it's, it's the worst of the Jurassic movies, easily. Um, and you should avoid it at all cost. Heard. We've got a big Netflix and Bill segment this week. Uh, should we move on to that? Facts. Yes, let's. Is this gonna be like? A, is this gonna be like? Uh, like? Uh, like Giannis going to the rim? Like we all just gotta clear out and let him let him do his thing type of thing? <laughs> or like, are these open for discussion? Or what do we? D- yeah, I feel like he's really <laughs> passionate right now. I'm a little fired up to talk about a couple of these things. Uh, let's start. Uh, let's start with Obi Wan. I have not watched a single episode. I have heard really great things, and I've heard really bad things. Here's my issue. Okay. (laughs) I started Obi-Wan because I really enjoy Ewan McGregor in that role. He was the only real saving grace of the prequels, um, and so I figured I would give it a shot. I watched the first episode, and I am done. I am no longer watching it, and I will not continue to watch it. I am all set. Um, so Obi-Wan I hated, and let me tell you why. This film, or excuse me, television show, is, the first episode alone was full of false drama, which is my biggest pet peeve in any sort of visual medium. Uh, TV, film, doesn't matter. False drama drives me nuts. And what I mean by that is, because this story is a prequel, which I inherently hate prequels for this reason, they create stakes or drama that don't actually matter because we already know where the story ends up going. For example, in the first episode, at one point, the bad guy holds a lightsaber to Uncle Owen's neck. And there is absolutely zero drama in that scene. No matter how much music you add or dramatic acting you do or camera angles you try, there is no drama in that scene because we know Uncle Owen from the movies in which he will continue to survive. And at the end of the first episode, uh, Young Leia, which is just pure fan service, like a seven-year-old Leia, uh, is kidnapped. And we're supposed to think that that's a dramatic moment. As if we don't know that Leia will continue to be fine. She's not going to get killed and nothing will come of this kidnapping because we see her in the later movies. So why am I watching a show that has zero stakes, zero drama, and zero point when we've already told the story that happened before it and the story that happened after it with two different trilogies? I refuse to watch this show. There's two questions that I have. How far after episode three does this take place? I mean, Leia is is five or six or seven, somewhere around there. And I guess she was just born at the end of... Maybe she's 10. I don't know. I'm bad at guessing ages of kids, but we'll say 10 years. Padwan gave died giving birth. Okay. All right. Second question is that we've talked about this premise before. Um, Better Call Saul, right? 
is that yep. you know what happens because you've Prime seen example. Breaking Bad, but like, how is that show successful and this show isn't? Uh, I don't know because I also stopped watching Better Call Saul after one episode in which someone put a gun to Saul's head, and that was again supposed to be dramatic, even though I know Saul will live through Breaking Bad. I I can't I can't tell you how much I can't stand that type of writing. Like, it just it drives me nuts, and it just it's just so it's a slap in the face to me as a viewer to try to make me care about something that I know the outcome of in that way. And I'm not going to watch Obi-Wan because of it. I just, I don't care. Do we want to stay in this, uh, this area of our feelings or do we want to just really just throw the audience back and forth from good vibes to bad vibes like a fucking rag doll? (laughs) No, let's move on. Because we could organize the TV section in the in a way that does not uh, keep going. Point. No, let's go to Stranger Things season. What was this four? I guess four. Yes, part one. Stranger Things uh, this, season four. So, so Stranger Things season four, I have finished. Okay. So that one I did muscle through. That one I also have issues, but I don't feel as strongly about those issues as I do Obi Wan. So I'll I'll calm down a little bit. I know you've watched a few. Why don't you take the the lead on yeah. this one for now? So. I'm having a very difficult time getting through this season for a, a number of of reasons. A, the run times, I'm just I end up falling asleep 45 minutes, half an hour. Literally, it's taken me 2 weeks to get through 3 episodes, which could be more of a me problem than like a a show problem. Uh but secondly and most importantly is that the rehashing, the repeating and the just nonsensical storylines are just getting exhausting to this point, right? Like having yep. Eleven revisit the same situation she was when we first found her. We've done that. We don't have to do that again, right? B, yep. every yep. conversation it seems like our main characters are having do nothing to move the plot forward, which I have a huge problem with. And C, Agreed. this pseudo weird exposition slash like eureka moments that happen literally on on every beat on the fifth or tenth page of the script is fucking exhausting where it like it it crash zooms to a character who looks up and they're like i have a plan or yep i figured it out or guys follow me and it's like all right we fucking get it you're the smartest 10 year olds are uh, they're 35 now you're the smartest 30 fucking yeah, yeah, five exactly. year olds in hawkins indiana but they're high schoolers they're high schoolers aj they're the high time schoolers. makes uh, no sense right i thought the i i thought i don't know uh, you go i'm just so upset yeah i agree uh on a on a lot of i agree on all those points one i agree that Every time they have a hunch about how something works in this make-pretend world, uh, they're always right, which is always frustrating. Just once, I want them to be like, I have a plan, and then they fuck it up and two kids die, and they're like, oh, it didn't work. Um, But that never happens. (laughs) Uh, I agree that a lot of the scenes, I'm literally sitting in these scenes thinking to myself, like, what is the purpose of this scene? Like, what are we moving forward either character-wise, emotionally, uh, narrative-wise? Like, what is, what are we accomplishing in these scenes? And most of them, I have no idea. And each episode's over an hour, so uh, that's a problem. But my biggest gripe with the show, uh, well, besides repeating, like you said, where like Elle's storyline seems to be a repeat, high school drama is a repeat, like 
it's just stuff we've done before. And when you're getting to the end of the show, second to last season, like I feel like they should be moving a little more quickly through new material and like adding more stakes than just going through the same old. But my biggest, biggest problem with the show is in terms of the writing, uh, just really bad conveyance. So like when you're watching a scene, uh, well, first of all, there's too many storylines. There's like eight to 10 storylines at any given time. And so you're watching a scene and you finally getting to the point in the scene where you realize, oh, okay, so I know where we are. I know why they're going to where they're going to go. Like you're starting to figure it out. Then they cut for dramatic effect and they cut to seven other scenes before you finally get back to that original scene. And now you've completely forgotten what they were doing or why they were doing it. Uh, So I just, they don't convey, and this is something that Nolan does particularly well. In terms of conveyance, where you're watching a scene and they end the scene we get with Tom Cruise and Nolan in a single episode, yeah, drink. <laughs> but Nolan does a really nice job of this, where even when you look back on his movies, sometimes people have questions about his logic or why they why characters did what they did, whatever. When you're looking at it as the whole, but when you're in any given scene, you know what's happening, and when they're transitioning to the next scene, you know why. Like he conveys to you and takes the audience with you really, really well. And this show does the absolute opposite of that, where you're just like at any given time. What are we doing and why are we doing it? And they'll end episodes where all the kids are in a jam or they're, it'll be nighttime and they're in some situation. They'll end the episode. And the next episode, they're like all in a car somewhere in the day. And they're just like, well, like, like, how'd they get out of that? Like, you don't know because the story is so poorly laid out. And my answer to this and what my major thing that I think they should have done is taken all these individual storylines with these different breakups of the characters and each episode of the season should have been just that storyline. Then they all come together towards the end. Yeah. Mm. And if they do, like like Hopper breaking out of the Russian prison, the Gulag. Nice. Like Hopper's storyline should have just been an episode where you're just with him getting out. And then Elle and her thing should have been uh, an episode. And they all kind of get towards the end. Because the cross-cutting of eight different stories doesn't work. And then if they were if they're watching an episode then it's all Hopper and the and the showrunners realize like this doesn't hold this isn't like entertaining enough or or compelling enough to be its own episode then you got to cut that storyline period like I feel like it would have helped them cut some of the bloat if they looked at it that way so that's my major gripe with this I with think this of season. Game of Thrones and I mean in the first f- five seasons they were able to play the many different storylines pretty well. Right? That's true. That's true. But I also I understand mean, uh, superior. You, you superior were writing, you yeah. were thinking of Nolan. I was thinking of Seinfeld. Like Seinfeld does stories the best. Right. Every episode, there's three different storylines that happen that they either convene or there's some sort of revelation that they all three share at the end. And every yeah, single sure. episode has that same beat, and it's like a freight train every single time. And it's right. this is what right. I'm missing is that. I know something big is going to happen, but to make me wait seven episodes with an hour and a half runtime each for that big thing to happen, because that's the same way it's been for the last three seasons. Like, I I don't know if I have the time or the patience to to do that right now in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I barely I barely did it. I did it. But I honestly, a lot of that time I was distracted. I was on my phone like it did not. I did not find it particularly compelling. I will give it one plus, though. I do think that the creature design in this season is the best we've seen in terms of like the big bad, so to speak, is basically a guy in a suit with some CG accoutrement. Um, And it just holds up 
it will hold up much better. He looks really good because it looks a whole lot more real and practical than the CG from season one. I haven't gone back, but if you do, I'm sure that the CG, um, whatever they're called, the, the dogs with the flower heads, the flower dogs, they probably look like trash. De- Demo- uh, Demo- Demogorgons. That's Demogorgon, and mind flayers, and yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they look terrible now. So this guy in a suit as the bad guy as actually a smart play, and I think he, he looks really cool. So I'll give, it, I'll give it some props on that one. And I will finish this season because there's only I think they're going to drop two more episodes, maybe two or three more in July to finish it off. I'll probably stick with it, but yeah, not not loving it. Turn that frown upside down, baby. Uh, the Boys <laughs> season three has now, as of this recording, four yeah. episodes in. I have fully caught up and I am enjoying the heck out of it. I am one episode in and they have not missed a beat. They know exactly what the show is and what the characters do and are. And it just, Mm -hmm. it's just a really fun fuck. And that opening scene on season on episode one is one of the craziest (laughs) things I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. They keep pushing the envelope. uh, And I love it because even I, I know some, some folks have talked to me about it and they think that sometimes the gore is like a little over the top or, unwarranted or doesn't help the narrative and is just like to gross out and to me some of that is probably true but a i don't really mind the gore personally but also the fact that they're always doing something that i've never seen before is what's exciting to me and interesting um so even if it is over the top or even if it is a little silly the fact that they are showing me things i've never seen in a movie or tv show before is the innovation is is worth it to me and I will say the highlight continues to be Homelander. The actor that plays Homelander is giving one of the best performances on television and he does not get nearly enough credit. Like he should win all the awards for this for this portrayal. Like he is so, so good with such a rich, complex character. Uh, like you can't take your eyes off him when you're watching, when you're on the screen. Like he is incredible. So I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving the boys. And it has been officially renewed for season four as of the premiere of season three. So uh, so that's exciting as well. And I don't know. I mean, it, I, I'm pretty sure it's based on a graphic novel. Do you know how closely they're following the source material or are they kind of just doing their own thing? That I don't know, to yeah. be honest. I have not uh, ever really looked into that much. But an example, too. I mean, we'll see what happens if they fall into the Game of Thrones trap. But like if it's they're taking a concept and they're doing all original content. Good for them. And then also too, if it's, they're following source material, like I couldn't tell either way. So like the, the, whoever's show running that and, and, and driving that is doing a phenomenal job of just creating, like you said, a a show that is showing me things that I've never thought about or have seen before in my entire life. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, well, wow, a lot of high praise for one episode. Holy shit. Let's uh let's move forward. Make this quick. What are you watching the next two weeks? Uh I got three movie tickets purchased, uh ready to go on the dock. Okay. There is got? a thriller called The Black Phone, which has gotten good early yeah. reviews. Very scary commercials during the NBA finals. I did not appreciate that. Yeah, holy shit. Yeah, yeah, they're not fucking around. Did not appreciate it. Uh, Ethan Hawke uh, in a uh, antagonist role, uh, which is not okay. common for him. So very excited to see what he does with that. Well, we saw it in um, Moon Knight. Oh yeah, you're right. We did see that too. Uh, but this is like this looks like more psycho psycho killer type of thing. Love it. 
Um, Elvis. Heard of him. Boo. Boz Lerman's uh, new musical biopic that spans, uh, I guess, his entire life because the movie's two hours and 45 minutes. Yo, uh, fuck off. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's the king of rock and roll. You got it. There's a lot there. Lots to cover. I feel like I am nervous already that this, if with that type of runtime, I already feel like they should have just made it like a six-part HBO show or something. But we will see what happens. Um, Did they end on the toilet, you I think? I don't know. Do you think they'd be that crude? I feel like they're going to, I think not. they're going to praise him more than anything. Uh, the actor who plays him, uh, they don't use different actors. Seems like it's the one actor. Uh, so they'll probably have to age him with makeup, I presume. Because he's a young, because he's a young guy. Um, and make him fat. And make him, and make him a lot larger uh, for the Vegas no, a lot years. Of, a lot of aging. A lot of aging happened in that twenty-year period. That is for sure. <laughs> the last five years, or the last, the last ten years of that man's life was a fucking train wreck. Yeah, that a lot of a lot of city miles on him. But that apparently the role took a lot out of him. I remember here like reading little articles about how much it tried on on the actor and how difficult it was. So, I mean, it's a role of a lifetime for him. Uh, so really excited to see what he does with it. So and, uh, and Boz Lerman overall, you know, he's he's a hyper stylist. So I mean, he is like the Michael Bay of of music movies. So we'll see how how it goes. I am a little afraid that I'll just get numb after two hours and forty minutes of it, but we'll see. Of course you will. Uh, and then what's your last and one? And then I also have a ticket to see Lightyear, the new Pixar oh. film, which is based on the real, I guess, astronaut space ranger that the toy is based on in the Toy Story films, voiced by Tim Allen in originally, now voiced by Chris Evans. I'm sorry. This. You're going to have to run that bias one more time. Just <laughs> from the top again? What What did you just say? Did you have a... Did you have a mini stroke? <laughs> the f- it's about, about Buzz Lightyear, the actual space ranger, as opposed to Buzz Lightyear, the toy, which we was introduced to in Toy Story. So in the world of Toy Story, oh, there was a yep. person that then the, the world of Toy Story made a toy of? I guess, or I don't know if this is a... I don't, or you're saying in our world, there's a, some sort of space ranger flying around. No, I mean, I... I what I don't understand is if the Space Ranger that the toy is based on is fictionalized. I mean, it's got to be, right? So then I guess it's just a, a, a dramatized version of his actual story. I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know. Confusing stuff. So like a movie of a movie of a show of a... Yeah. I guess it's one of those. Okay. But it's Pixar, so I got to give them some benefit of the doubt and see what they do with it. Initial screening, initial reviews is actually pretty I'm sure. I mean, they right always now. know what they're doing. Um, so... Um, let's go to bed. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It. Good night. Good night.